Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Tensions. How many of you felt a little bit of tension in your life in the last little while? It's just like the theme word for 2020, isn't it? Just tension. Have some tension. You know, it's uh, today I'm talking on thankful yet dissatisfied. Thankful yet dissatisfied. You know, you can be both. You can have. There's a lot of things in life that you can you can have more than more than one outlook or more than one uh, experience at the same time. Thankful yet dissatisfied. It's like when you're doing renovations in your house. You're thankful that there's a renovation going on in your home. Yet you're dissatisfied because you don't have a working toilet. You know, you're, you're sitting there, maybe you're, you're creating that man cave, that, that place that you can enjoy. You know, you can sit and watch Sunday service in the, in the luxury of your man cave. And uh, yet at the same time, you're in the middle of the process and you're having to watch service from your phone while you sit in your bedroom. Uh, you know, thankful that you are you know, thankful that the renovation is taking place, yet dissatisfied because the experience you're having is not the experience. It's not all that you. It's not all that you're meant for. And I think our lives are very similar in uh, in many respects. Our God is working in our soul. He's given us great promises about what He's going to do. He's given us great promises about the uh, the peace that passes all understanding, of joy that that we can experience in the midst of hardship. Yet our toilet's not working in our soul. Just you can just let the imagery fill in the blanks by itself right there it's you know it's we we know that God makes all things beautiful in his time but we have to wait for his time before it gets beautiful and let me just encourage you if it's not beautiful yet then he's not done then what he's doing in you isn't complete it hasn't been finished and it's uh in the meantime we have to live in this tension in between. We have to live in this tension in between. We are dissatisfied, but we can be thankful. Dissatisfied, but we can be thankful. James chapter 1. Let's, let's go to the Bible here. James chapter 1, which I love the New Testament because it was all written to Christians who were in crisis. Just the whole book is written to Christians who were in crisis, sometimes fearing for their very lives. And so he, he takes, he says this, my fellow believers, he's, writ, he's writing this to people who are persecuted, people who are fearing for their lives. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Okay, James, let's just talk about normal, functional brain living you don't see difficulties as an opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you possibly can. We see difficulties as something to be avoided at any cost. And when it's difficult, let's run. When it's difficult, let's watch a show. When it's difficult, let's avoid the situation. 
James says, take it as an opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. In other words, if you want to endure all things, you have to, you have, to have your faith tested first in order to be able to do that. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. You can go through seasons where there's dissatisfaction, where there's trials, where there's, where there's difficulty, and you can take joy in those situations. We can be thankful for those situations, knowing that it's in those situations that God is going to grow endurance in us, which is going to make us complete. Where where it says it'll release perfection into every part of our being until there's nothing missing and nothing lacking. That is the fully renovated home, people. Nothing's missing, nothing is lacking. It's all there. That's, That's the tension. So let's start with this thing called dissatisfaction dissatisfaction, not happy with how things are. How many of you get like just, sometimes it's just, I am just not happy with how things are. I think that would describe my general outlook towards everything <laughs> right now. Just, just not very happy with how anything is. Displeasure, this is the definite, or the, these are some synonyms synonyms, not synonyms, but synonyms for dissatisfaction, displeasure, discontent, disappointment, frustration. And I think, I think part of the problem with our Western culture is we don't really understand the value of what dissatisfaction can do in and through our lives. We live, we, we live in a comfort culture. We live in a culture that believes if we're doing everything right, life should be easy. If you make all the right decisions today, your life will be filled with luxury and excess tomorrow. Isn't that true? That's, we are, we are, we we're taught this, we're sold this, we kind of buy into this thinking. But I think because of that, we don't understand the role that dissatisfaction can actually play in developing our lives and in developing our hearts. And so the the role, we have to be careful with dissatisfaction that we don't allow dissatisfaction to make its home in our heart, but allow to understand um, how it can propel us towards something greater, how it can propel us actually into the purpose of God for our lives. Uh, I've been reading a book, it's, it's called The Dark Night of the Soul, how appropriate for winter and COVID and, you know, just, it's, it sounds like it's a, like, is Mike depressed? Is that why he's reading the dark night of the soul? Like, is that, it's actually, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a book written on the writings of St. John of the Cross who lived, oh, like 800 years ago. And uh, St. Teresa of, I think it's Avilia. And they were, it's, it's, it's a super interesting book. And the dark night of the soul is basically this, it's, it's this how we go through these dark seasons in life, these dark nights, and how God uses them to actually bring wholeness and completeness to our life. And he goes, he goes on to say that you can't actually experience completeness without going through dark nights. 
It's just like if we, if we just never had nighttime here. If it was just daytime, 24 hours a day, it's like that's actually not healthy. We need night. Night is a part of the, of the normal cycle uh, of life. And so the danger of a dark season or a dark night is, dis- is this season of dissatisfaction is that it can turn into one of depression or one of anxiety or, or, or one that, that that darkness takes, takes root in our heart. And if you've ever suffered or you're suffering through an intense time of depression, you know how, how absolutely powerless and helpless you can, you can begin to feel in that season. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about this back in, uh, oh, probably back in April, is the, you know, the stats on depression, uh, and particularly the, the unipolar depression, which is depression which doesn't have a specific cause. It's just people just, I feel depressed. Why do you feel depressed? I don't know why I feel depressed. I just feel depressed. That's gone up in the last 50 years. It's increased a thousand percent. A thousand percent. That's that's not a typo. A thousand percent. That is not a small increase. And it's not, you know, if you if you lose a loved one, your depression has a reason. You know, something something tragic happens. That depression it has a cause. Unipolar depression, it's like there's no reason. It's just you feel bad and you don't know why. A thousand percent. And I I believe it's it's actually I, I believe that, I don't actually think this type of depression is a bad thing. I think it's actually, it's, it's like the siren of our soul trying to get our attention that what we're, what we're embracing, the beliefs that we're embracing, the, the mindsets that we're embracing, they're actually not healthy. And it's, it's like, it's our soul's way of trying to get our attention to say, hey, pay more attention to me. Pay more attention to your soul because what you're paying attention to or what's got your attention isn't giving you life in the deep parts of your soul. And so this, in this book, The Dark Night of the Soul, it's written by a psychiatrist, Gerald May. He's interpreting uh, the, the writings of St. John of the Cross on The Dark Night of the Soul. And he, he writes this, uh, he, says, he says this, for all of us, However, there, there are moments of dawning awareness, little cracks in our armor that reveal glimpses of our deeper longing and our truer nature. We generally don't like what we see there because it forces us to admit that we are fundamentally dissatisfied. We begin to see that the results of our efforts are not quite as perfect as we hoped for. Perhaps the career we worked so hard to achieve is not as rewarding as we'd expected. Maybe the love relationship we thought would make us complete has become time-worn and frayed. Things that gave us pleasure in the past may now seem empty. Such glimpses occur in unique ways for each person, but they always happen. But they always happen. These are what he calls these dark nights of the soul. This is where we start to see into ourselves a little bit more deeply. We get these glimpses of what's, what's in us. He writes this, that the, the, the dark night is a profoundly good thing. It's a gift. It's for our growth, it's for our soul, and it's for our protection. Each experience, this is what he writes, each experience of the dark night gives us gifts. It leaves us freer than we were before. It leaves us more available, more responsive, and more grateful. 
It's an ongoing spiritual process in which we are liberated from attachments and compulsions and empowered to live and love more freely. I think that's pretty profound. Am I, am I going too deep for you guys this morning? Is that... The dark seasons are a gift. They're a gift. They're given to us so that we can learn to love more. We can learn to be freer. We can learn to be liberated. We can be liberated from attachments and compulsions and empowered to live and love better. So here's, here's some signs. You, here's some signs that you might be in a dark night that, that something is... Something is trying to get developed in you. The first one, this is, this is a really kind of obvious one, is just dryness and impotence in life. Dryness and impotence in life. It's just life, just, eh. Ways, that we're li- ways of living that were once rich and re- rewarding, they just seem to have lost their spark. Things that you used to love, you just don't love anymore. Things that you used to enjoy. So I just don't enjoy this anymore. The second sign is you just a lack of desire for old ways. A lack of desire for old ways. In other words, what I used to do, what I used to love, I just, I don't love it anymore. Simply put, you, we don't want things to go back to the way they were. We want things to be different. We want things, we want things better. The dark night is designed to allow us to feel frustration. Because when you get frustrated enough, you will change. Isn't that true? If you get frustrated enough, you will change. And the third one, and I like this, I think this is my favorite of the three, is that you're finding a growing desire to simply love God. A growing desire. In other words, all the complications, they, they, they actually cease to matter. And this desire to just simply know God and love God begins to take its place. And ultimately, this is the purpose behind everything that we go through. That, that which God leads us to and that which God leads us through, it's designed to teach us to love better. It's to, it's to develop a greater love for God and a greater love for those around us, a greater love for others. Everything God does is that he leads us to love. And there's, there's basically two reasons we don't experience love. The first is that we're asleep to the truth. We don't realize who we are. We don't realize whose we are. And we don't realize what we're for. And then the second reason that we don't experience love is that we misplace our love. The, the reason we don't experience God's love is because we've misplaced our love and we've become attached to things rather than to God. And the dark season of the night, the dark season of the soul, it's designed to strip away the things that we've attached to other than God. And so here, I said, wow, Mike, this is really serious. Started off pretty heavy for a Sunday morning. We wanted something more celebratory. Not celebratory, celebratory. Sorry, that was a pastor's joke. Pastor dad joke right there. And uh, 
we're going to move on to the gratitude part here and, and get things a little bit more uh, light. How do we counter, how, how do we respond in the dark night? How do we respond in the seasons where we're dissatisfied, the seasons where we know there's things in our life we want changed, but they're not changed yet? We're, we know we're being renovated, but, but the work's not done. So how do we go through those seasons well? Because it's a, you're, you're, it, the, the night's coming, people. I just want to let you know, the night is coming. I've been in this, this, this business called living long enough to know, no matter what you do, night's coming. And you can't get away from it. You can't run from the night. There's a song there somewhere, isn't there? That's a country song, if there's ever been one. We practice, here is the, here's the spiritual practice. It's that of gratitude and prayer. The spiritual practice of gratitude and prayer. In fact, gratitude and prayer, they actually go hand in hand together. Let's look at this Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul. I, I talked about, I actually talked from this scripture two weeks ago. And uh, Paul wrote this from prison. So I think there might have been a little bit of dissatisfaction from Paul, who was called to go to the ends of the earth, preaching the good news of Jesus, is stuck in a prison cell and has to write. And this is what he writes. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Shut up, Paul. <clears throat> Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. This is exactly what the dark night of the soul was talking about. Your joy is because you are united with God. You are, you are his. He is yours. That's, that's who you belong to. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship. And then verse 6, it says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout the day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Let your, offering your faith-filled requests, pray with gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. Let your requests come to God with gratefulness. Gratitude and prayer work together to lead us to a place of peace. Yeah. It says the two, see, prayer can take on the form of complaining. That doesn't work. It's the gratitude that as we couple with gratitude, it leads us to a place of peace. Gratitude sets us up to experience the best possible version of every season of life we're going through. It sets us up to experience the best in, that, in every season. And by focusing on what's good, by focusing on what God has brought to our lives, what we've received rather than what we've not, we've, we, we actually prevent frustration from becoming the predominant theme of our life. And see, that's right back at the beginning. I said, you, we, we, in those, those dark seasons of the night, we have to be careful that we don't let it become the theme of our heart. When we're, in, when we're frustrated, you can't let frustration become your underlying motivation. If you've ever worked through a conflict with a friend or a conflict with a spouse or a conflict 
with a child, you know how utterly destructive the frustration can become if it's given full vent or full kind of full reign in a relationship. Gratitude keeps us in the best version of our life in that season. It keeps us in the best place. Jim Wilder, a neuropsychologist, he said this, from a brain perspective, gratitude flips a switch that turns on our mental receptors. It's as if it flips a switch in the brain and turns, and turns on the relational part of our brain and prepares us for interaction with others. It can also do the same for our interaction with God. And there's this, there's kind of this belief that, well, I can't, gratitude isn't possible in the midst of severe suffering. But the truth is that it's in the midst of severe suffering and adversity that gratitude can have its most profound effect in our lives. It can actually set us up for the best experience in that, in that season of our life. There was a study done, conducted with people resolving negative situations, and they were asked to recall an unpleasant memory that they still found upsetting, and then to express gratitude about one thing in that situation that they had discovered. And this study showed that those who expressed gratitude were more likely to experience closure on that negative circumstance than those who continued to dwell in the negativity. Gratitude helps us move on. Gratitude helps us move better. Another study by Berkeley showed that gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. Those who expressed gratitude showed, showed lasting signs of change in their medial prefrontal cortex. Now, are all of you familiar with the medial prefrontal cortex? Oh, yes, that part. I've, I've, I, I know exactly what's happened. You know what? Your medial prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that controls the, the recollection of memory. So you live your history, you experience your life in the past through, through your medial prefrontal cortex. How you remember something, events. Have you ever talked to two children that have come from exactly the same family? And one said, my parents were hard and disciplined. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they were hard on me. They were mean. They were rough. And then you have another child that said, my parents were great. I loved them. They taught me discipline. They taught me self-control. They taught me, what, what's the difference? How, how are they both having a completely different account of exactly the same event? The medial prefrontal cortex is the reason they're having a different account of exactly the same events. Gratitude helps you, gratitude helps you see your life different. Gratitude helps you see your past different. And some of us, we're wanting healing from our past while our healing's actually going to start with gratitude. The way we're going to view it's going to change when we start to, to use gratitude Gratitude changes the way we remember our past. So let's say you, you are in this season of night right now, and, and, and there's in, in a room this size, obviously, there's going to be people in a, in a dark season. But also in our society, we're just in a dark season as a society right now. What is God's will for us in the dark seasons? Well, let's just go to 1 Thessalonians. It says this, be thankful 
in all circumstances. For this is God's will for all who belong to Christ Jesus. What's God's will for my life? It's to be thankful. No matter what you're facing, start with thanks. Start with thankfulness. It's a great way to write the introductory chapter to this part of your life. Our situation doesn't matter nearly as, nearly as much as our disposition. One study showed that keeping a gratitude journal for two weeks re resulted in a 28% 28 per, re, 28 reduction in stress levels and a 16% decrease in depression. That's in two weeks. Just keeping a gratitude journal. Our minds are comparison-making machines. Like all day long, we make comparisons, don't we? All day long. When, some, when, when our neighbor has a truck pull up in front and they begin unloading stuff out of the back of the truck, maybe it's a brick truck. Maybe it's an Amazon truck. What do we do? I wonder what they're getting. I wonder what they have. They're always getting something delivered at their house. They always have stacks of Amazon boxes in front of their house. We are comparison-making machines. Gratitude. By, by practicing gratitude, I keep my thoughts rooted in thankfulness. And I keep them healthy. The term Sabbath. In the Hebrew, one of the definitions of Sabbath means to stop and delight. Well, you can't delight in something without being grateful for something. Stop and delight. Practicing Sabbath is actually practicing gratitude. It's stopping and being grateful for that which we've been given, for that which we have. Psalms 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. When do we, when do we start giving thanks? Well, we start right now. Neuroscientist Rick Hansen, he said this. The brain takes the shape the mind rests upon. Rest your mind upon worry, sadness, annoyance, and irritability, and it will begin to take the, shirt, the shape neurally of anxiety, depression, and anger. Ask your brain to give thanks, and it will get better at finding things to be grateful for, and it will begin to take the shape of gratitude. Everything we do creates connections within networks of the brain. The more you repeat something, the stronger those connections get. Gratitude can change your brain in lasting ways. So let's go to practical. I've given you way more study than you're used to hearing from me. I've been reading a lot lately. Does it show? The uh, three ways to experience gratitude. Number one is look for the good. Look for the good. And this leads us to joy. Gratitude is a choice to focus on the good. And we sabotage joy by seeing gifts as entitlements, by seeing acts of kindness when, when others are kind to us. If we believe that we're, that, that we're if we're expecting that, that as, a, as a, something that people owe us, then we actually don't ever become grateful for it. Just recently, I started a gratitude journal. And uh, one of the exercises is to just write down memories that bring you joy. And it's amazing how just you can remember things from your past. One, one of the things was just simply riding my bike down to the Blind Man River. I grew up in Rimby. So there was 
a blind man river on every side of us. No matter which way you drove your bike, you could go to the blind man river. And one of my memories of joy was just riding my bike down there with the fishing rod on the back of the bike, me and my buds, and we would just go down and fish for the day. And we would get stuck in the mud as we, you know, went into the river and made a mess of ourselves. Just all the things, that, the awkwardness of meeting and wanting to date Monica, but being a very awkward young man who was not wise in the ways of relationships. Just, I remember going on our honeymoon, driving down to Oregon, to the Oregon coast, Lincoln City, and just, I remember driving down to our honeymoon night in Calgary. The joy that just came, I'm gonna get laid tonight. <laughs> just throw a freebie in here. It was worth waiting for. It was. Awkward, inexperienced, awesome. Okay, I've lost myself in my notes here. The second thing, receive the good. And this is grace. This is grace. You know what? Some of you have actually a hard time receiving. You're, you're actually not too bad at, at giving. But when people try to give back to you, you actually resist it. You don't know how to receive good from others. Every time, every time someone serves you, encourages you, goes out of their way for you, they're giving you a gift. Receive it as a gift. No one has to do anything for you. Nobody has to do anything. Everything that you get, take time to appreciate. And a surplus of gratitude will begin to, to grow in your life. And third is give the good. Give the good. And this, is, this leads us to love. Gratitude is not complete until you've passed it on. Here's some easy things you can do this week. Tell someone about something that was done for you and why it mattered. Offer just to do something for someone else. Perform a, ch a chore or run an errand. Or when somebody serves you, maybe they're uh, at a restaurant or at a store, let their supervisor know what an amazing job they're doing. You're just, you're passing gratitude on. So let me finish with this, as a, this final note. If you're in if you are, if you would be what you would consider in a dark season of the, of the soul, remember this, dawn does come. Dawn comes and with it, a new life comes with it. We are transformed. Our intellect is transformed into faith. Our will is transformed into love and our memories get transformed into hope. The dawn is an awakening that takes place where we, we we discover who we really are and who we are really for. Let's stand up. Let me just say this. The dark night is not to destroy you, but to remove 
our attachments to things that ultimately would destroy us, that ultimately would lead us to death. So let's just close our eyes. Father, I thank you that even though our lives are under renovation, they're not done. That you're working and you're building and you're growing things in our lives to bring us to a better place, filled with you, filled with love, filled with your life. And Father, as we, as we go forward, I pray for those that would consider themselves in this season of the dark night of the soul. Father, I pray not that they would get out of the dark night, but that they would discover the purpose of the dark night. You can just put your hand on your heart and just say, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me in this season? I give you thanks for all that you're doing in me. And I want to cooperate with you in this season of my life and the next. Would you teach me to know you and to love you with all of my heart? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, and I just pray for each, each person here that no matter what season they're in, that, that they would see that dawn is coming. And with it, new beginnings, with it, new life with transformed souls. Amen. I'm going to pray one more prayer. Maybe you're here. You've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to his plan or purpose. You know, he's, he's got a purpose for you. And that purpose is in knowing him. It's in walking with him. It's, in, it's about being transformed by him. And he just simply waits for us to ask. And so I'm going to pray one more prayer, whether you're here or you're online. You can, you can pray with me as we pray together. Let's pray, Jesus, I say yes to you. I want your plan and your purpose for my life. Would you lead me? I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's great, you guys. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.